This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We got a stacked show for you here once again this week. Man, we are at full throttle here at Black and Gold Banneret. Kyle Nash, the student of the game, is joining us here for the first segment. A little bit later, Bryson Turner is going to be with us to talk about uh, what's been going on around UCF Sports. But guys, we're coming off of the uh, therapy session on night shift after the loss to Louisville. Kyle Nash get, putting us on the couch, examining things about what's uh, examining what's what we're all thinking about this. I just wanted to tell you that I you you are very good at that, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I, and I said to Eric on Friday night, as much as I've been, you know, uh, putting you guys through your couples therapy uh, on this show many times, resolving conflicts, um, you know, I, I was glad to be there for the Night Nation as a whole on Friday. And, and listen, man, uh, I find it interesting that the two presences that we had uh, in the press box on Friday, one is the therapist and one is the Leroy Jenkins of Twitter. That's yeah, yes. a hell of a mix. I know. That's, uh, yeah, that's the yin and the yang, I think, are strong in this group. Uh, so we'll talk about, uh, we'll start, we're going to start by talk by sort of putting the final bow on the uh, loss to Louisville uh, last Friday and what you, what UCF does from here. And then we're going to preview Florida Atlantic as well, coming up the game in Boca Raton. Uh, on Saturday, uh, UCF facing the Owls once again, uh, who are two and one on the season under Willie Taggart. But guys, first, let's kind of now that we have the benefit of hindsight and a couple of press conferences under our belt, Kyle and Eric. Uh, the so all right, what went wrong on Friday? We know about the penalties, obviously, and a few of them could be argued, but penalties are what they are. Um. I see all the complaints about play calling, about quarterback play, and I go back to the same thing that you guys have spoken, have waxed poetic on about, and that is, you know, this team's offensive line is kind of struggling out the gate a little bit. We saw several times John Rice Plumley, you know, kind of running for his life and making plays, mm-hmm. right, and was able to make plays. But when it came down to, you know, and listen, Louisville, let's give some credit to Louisville. Defensively, that team is good. They can hit. Oh, yeah. I, they, you know, we, we learned that last year, right? They, when the, you, they make it a point to punish you uh, on, every, on every down. And, uh, and we learned that last year. And I think we learned that again this year. And, uh, um, this team's got some work to do, I think, especially up front in terms of figuring out the cohesion of this unit, Kyle. And and I want to start with you because you have exp- you have a particular set of experience on this. Um, you know, where where does this go from here? What needs to be done, and how do these issues get fixed in time for FAU on Saturday? Right. Well, and a lot of, of, of what needs to be done, you've noticed happening. Like, First of all, to, to all the people that speak to play calling and personnel, Jeff's 100% right. It starts on the offensive line, it being a limitation. But Kyle, what does that have to do with not putting John and Richardson in the game more? Oh, my God, he's so explosive. First of all, Coach Malzahn will agree with you that he's explosive. 
uh, um, Jason Johnson, the linebacker, who said in the press conference Monday that the guy that's helped him most improve from battling in all, uh, against an offensive player throughout camp and this far into the season. Also mentioned Johnny Richardson. But, gentlemen, one must keep an Isaiah Bowser on the field for one reason, to help in protection. How do you account for an offensive line that's struggling? Now, granted, I'm going to continue to put Matt Lee in a little bubble at center. He's fantastic. I really think in the next couple of years, we'll be having serious talks about him being an NFL center at one point. And I think he's got a better shot than Cole Snyder uh, did when he was out with the Packers this past offseason. And that's not a shot at Cole Snyder. Uh, Schneider, uh, I, I think that's more about Matt Lee being a more complete athlete in terms of size and speed. But when, it, you know, when you have Bowser in there and he has to help in protection, which he did very well, by the way, mm -hmm. I um picked up a lot of blitzes uh, that, that the Louisville sent on the outside and to take some of the pressure off the tackles, which is their biggest struggling point, right? Gabe uh, Grable and, and Swoboda, I believe um, they have their strength as, as at least as athletes. They're both strong guys, but it's that pass protection that's problematic. And when you lose confidence as a tackle, um, which I'm, I'm glad to say I never had in a game situation where I lost confidence because that's a rough place to be. I've had a rough day in some practices facing against the best uh, uh, defensive player on my team when I was playing at the time as one of the defensive ends. I've had some rough nights, and it sucks. I can only imagine what they're feeling now that they're in a uh, situation not only where the quarterbacks are live, but when it actually counts with, versus you know it being in practice. So I say all of that to say it's it's there's a mental aspect to knowing you have that health and you can concentrate more on what you're doing in front of you um, and, and, but I really think it's agility, ironically, despite their size, it's agility that becomes the problem. If you can't get your kicks back fast enough, your kick steps back fast enough to where you can stop a speed rush and you're thinking about that too much, you end up kicking back. You're on your heels. And then what happens? The same thing that happened to Grable, um, you get pushed. Uh, five five yards back almost into your quarterback because the defensive end's like, hey, wait, this guy's worried about me being fast. And they, you know, they attack your chest directly and dominate you that way. And now then when that happens, you're in real trouble. Um, the interior of the line that I've alluded to in the past being problematic um, is no longer uh, the biggest problem. Sam Jack being kicked inside um, for my money appears to have been the correct move for all the criticism there is if Gus Mel's on in his scheme. Um, you know, that the, the inside uh, is fantastic. Um, all three interior linemen in my mind are doing fantastic. Um, Loki is, is carrying his weight. There's a reason why he's on an award watch list, but for me, the tackles are, are definitely the struggle and you're getting that attack from the edge. If you're noticing John Rice being flushed toward one side, Normally you can escape if you're a fast quarterback, if you're flushed that way. But then when they both lose, where does he go? And there were plenty of those instances against Louisville uh, on Friday. Yeah, so I, I, I thought, you know, and, and I don't have the numbers to back this up, unfortunately. But um, I thought Louisville did a good job of, like, they, they, they decided to, on several occasions, they decided to bring the house and dare, and dare JRP to throw um, and test his accuracy. Sometimes it was on, other times it was not. But they they brought pressure, and I don't care who you are, got, you know, quarterbacks under pressure, your numbers are just not going to be as good. And the other thing, though, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I saw in the second half that Louisville even started pulling guys back 
because they were getting enough push with four and sometimes three guys. Mm-hmm. And you know that now, okay, if you're if you're rushing three, that means you're dropping eight. <laughs> and good luck, you know, because you have because because your receivers are all outnumbered. Eric, I want to go to you. You're you're Gus Malzahn. What are you pounding this week? I think you're going to have to simplify some things and you're going to really have to do some soul searching. And I think I felt like, you know, you talked about therapy there, Kyle. I felt like Gus kind of went through his therapy with you in the media there on Monday. Um, He took ownership of the loss, uh, which I thought was fascinating. In fact, let's play the clip right now. Kyle, you asked Gus about, what was it, penalties you asked him about? Well, right. And to your point, he has owned penalties and and his issue. And I I wrote about it a little bit up in the preview that you'll see on the black and gold banner at com that dropped just before we were recording this um, that states. Listen, he's like, hey, listen, penalties is is on me. I said we'd fix it after SCSU and we didn't. But I asked him if transfers and new faces are something that makes it more of a coaching challenge. And well, you could hear what he said. Coach, did mention penalties earlier and kind of the situation with this particular roster is like you have a lot of guys who have obviously, you know, are experienced players are new on this campus per se. Um, Is that anything that adds challenge when you're getting a lot of not only new faces, but transfers coming in? Does that add to getting that right, uh, making that right difficult? You know, I'd say maybe one week, that would be the first week, you know, you're learning the second week, I would say no. I'd say that's just part of, uh, you know, coaching. And now, as you could tell, I tried to, I don't want to say I was trying to give him an out, but coach Malzahn was having none of it. He put it right back on his shoulders and, and he, he insists that it's on him, which listen, there are coaches in the, uh, in the past. I don't want to mention any names to cause too much hype, but who would more dodge problems and, and try to put it to something other than the- uh, it's because I, uh, I know football more than you and all the players. It's all the players. They're not NGE, not good enough. I knew that was coming. That was coming. Well, I- Never my fault. Just because I had two winless seasons. <laughs> not my fault. I have a statue. Oh, my God. I should have two statues. <laughs> what? I um, I won't try to compete as far as who could do the better. <laughs> I never attended one of those pressers, but I've heard. <laughs> um, but legendary, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, with with um with uh, Malzahn, listen, man, he he, I think you said it best, Elo. He knows how to talk to fans. You know, um, well, I think he understands they're ticked off. Yeah, and I I think he's ticked off. I, that was a bad loss. I mean, sorry, this ain't Louisville basketball. They're okay. <laughs> that team is the poster boy, Kyle, of why you don't like the ACC. It's a team that is not very good. Nobody left that stadium saying, wow, that team is really good. Yet they're going to win seven games and go to the Belk Bowl. Um, The disappointing thing is you lose that game at home. Penalties was a big part of that, not discipline, right? Think about the the penalties that took away touchdowns. That's a concern. Yes. Offensive line, which you have addressed, uh, not only here, but you and Drew have addressed this since camp. That's a big issue because basically Louisville's like, yeah, we're going to put pressure on you because we don't respect your offensive line. Yeah. Quarterback is still an issue. We don't know if we have one. He was uh, John Rice Plumley, not consistent. He missed some throws. There was one to Alec Holler in particular in the first half that he's got to complete. Uh, I thought even on the final offensive play of the game, like, you know, 
you could hear the crowd, you know, kind of like, go, go. You know, they, they saw like sort of yeah. the Red Sea kind of part. Right. And and where he had an opportunity to run for it on fourth and five. And instead he threw it. He tried to get the ball into, I think it was Xavier Townsend. And, uh, and Xavier, I think, was double covered on the play. And he, and he, and he made it. And that's. And I think Gus talked about that after the game. It's that's that's kind of a you know that's that's the learning curve at work, right? You know, he hasn't played quarterback in over two years. It, it's a yeah, but do you have time to develop a guy and can a guy? Because you don't just become accurate in one week. Uh, you know, you take a quarterback like Jordan Travis at Florida State. He's in his third year, basically. Now is when you're starting to see him being somewhat accurate, and the jury is still out on him even then. So that's a question Although, mark. How, how much of the accuracy questions a function of him having to run around like a maniac being chased by people? I think some of that, but some of it is also he only makes one read. It seems like he likes to go to Javon Baker, and if he's not there, he tucks it. And that's kind of a lot of athletes that play the quarterback position that don't have the experience or don't have the reps tend to do that early. Because uh, yeah, so, you, you yeah. make point there that's completely accurate that those guys do exist but and listen i've been the guy giving uh jeff the hardest time with his jrp propaganda on this show that's true very very valid very valid okay very valid one place i will defend jeff and his beloved jrp i'm kidding boss um the one place where i will defend john rice plumley here is um, Ryan O'Keefe missing, not being involved in that fourth quarter due to injury. That's another one getting a little ignored. Now, where I'll turn it on its head and be critical as much as people talk about play calling. And as much as I am annoyed by people who think they know even as much as Gus Malzahn, who's literally written a book on the sport that other coaches have adopted as a way of life, by the way, um, the, where is one question I would put on there and that that's in that very same series gentlemen um isaiah bowser comes up limping you have two timeouts why are you panicking and putting jrp in a position to have to throw a pass there call timeout right and i think that's where gus was alluding to in the pressers too where i think he takes so i don't think he i think he's got to realize what he has at quarterback and he's gonna have to scale some things back simplify some things help him out a little bit better uh because you can't there, look whether you're a pro JRP, not pro. There's some throws he can't make. I think we could all agree on that. There are some throws he just can't make. So don't call those plays. <laughs> How about that? Well, I, That's know, a crazy concept. Well, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think Gus is out here, you know, calling plays that he does that he does that he knows his quarterback can't can't run. I think one of the other things, though, and you mentioned Ryan O'Keefe getting banged up. Kobe Hudson was nowhere to be seen either. He didn't even play. He was a scratch. Well, we don't know when he'll play. We don't again. know. Right. We, yeah, so, so, so we don't know. Do we get any? Uh, by the way, did we get any update on O'Keefe or Hudson, uh, Kyle? Hudson on Monday was said that he wasn't playing due because he's dealing with a a, a personal issue. Um, which, you know, uh, I know we speculate a lot here in the media, but let's just say percentage wise, when you hear that, it's typically not a good thing. Um, and then Ryan O'Keefe, we've heard it's a hamstring. Um, we're not sure if he's going to be back in time for FAU or not, but hamstrings are always tricky, especially when you're a guy like Ryan O'Keefe. Um, you know, I, it's an injury I've suffered in the past uh, myself, and even as a non-fast guy, air quotes. I was, I, I was, I was going to say, yes, you are, you are quite, you are quite fast, but I don't know if you're Ryan O'Keefe fast. Yeah, I'm, hey, listen, I'm <laughs> awesome for a 300 pounder. Um, 
see, I'm not even 300 pounds anymore. So maybe I really like the wind. I'm kidding. But no, listen, in his case, what makes it tough, especially when we'll put it this way, where you make your, your, uh, uh, uh living running, um, hamstrings are tough because you never really know when you're back until you test it. And it's real easy to retweak that stuff. So mm. that's, that's definitely a tough right. situation. Um, well, but, yeah, but like that's that, but that, you know, that right there, all right. That's two weapons that you're without. Right. It is. I hate to break it news though. I hate to break this. I don't know. And Caillou can confirm this. Football is tackle football. Injuries will happen. <laughs> and I kept being told all fall camp we have so much depth that, that you know, we could lose a bunch of guys and we'll be fine. I, that's not the re- Let's bring. I want to bring up, though, a part that nobody brings up because it's not exciting in podcasts. Quarterback's the easy thing to focus on in the offense. If you make a 32-33 yard field goal and actually play better on special teams, maybe we don't have this conversation. And oh, that's oh maybe yeah yeah two yeah two long touchdowns called back a fifty seven yarder from Johnny. I'm just saying special teams in general, and then but, a seventy five yarder to Baker that got called back. But I'm saying special teams is a big issue on this team. Yeah, and, yeah special teams and, 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 and penalties and, on blocking. Were yeah, a real that's we, there's a to me right now that's a that's another concern because again you saw the special teams cost him the Navy game last year. Well, that's true, but and, I, and 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 I just think you have to be you know Bill Parcells always said you got you know there's three aspects of the game. Offense, defense, and special teams that can win you or lose you games. No, no, and listen, all that's true from a football, uh, from a football, uh, what's his word, commandment standpoint, right? But I can't, as far as this game, listen, watching Obarski miss the chip shot has to be annoying for UCF fans in general. I 100% understand. However, in this game, listen, that's three of 14 points that are left I should say 17. Points. Now we're up to 17. Right, which could make a difference perhaps in yeah. that last drive because then you don't need a touchdown. You could have kicked the field goal, right. hypothetically. Points, who cares about the field goal? Now, to join you on this, though, Eric, and be completely fair with you that special teams are a problem, and I think we agreed with this on Friday when we talked mm-hmm. about it, there's a little bit too many butterfingers. Um, I agree. In field front. position, right? Field position wasn't good because you don't get good returns because you don't handle returns. Do you? I'm, I'm saying that as a whole special teams. I'm not talking yeah. one aspect of special teams. Yeah, uh, and that's more for the audience at home that we discussed that too, Eric. I know you know better, but, yeah. but yeah. It, it, let's put it this way. They managed to avoid catastrophe too this yeah. time, but when that's a turnover and if they have the same differential with FAU, oh God, you know. Right, yeah. right. So. That said, okay, here's here's my silver lining to the dark cloud, all right? We don't know how good Louisville is going to be, number one. We, we don't know. Right? Yeah, I know. We know. We'll find it. We know. No, we don't. We don't know. Maybe Satterfield turns baby. it around. I don't know. Number two, they were the more desperate team. And I always, that was the one thing about this game that kind of frightened me coming in was beware the more <sighs> desperate team. That's such a number media three, cliche. That's media cliche. It's not a media I read, cliche. No, I no, read no, no, on no, the no, black no. and gold banner read about revenge. Revenge. I get that. I think but, that's, know, that's, 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 that's a cop-out. Like, I, nobody, nobody was saying Louisville was the more desperate real, team when UCF was thing. up 14-7 to seven out playing Louisville. Like, UCF should, have, UCF should have put the game away in the first half and didn't. They let them hang around. That's the but here, story. Here's, but here's, here's the other thing is despite all the stuff that went wrong, all the stuff that went wrong, UCF had two shots in the fourth quarter to win the game yes. and, didn't, and didn't come up with it Yeah, in a one-score game. Right, it wasn't like they got blown out of their own building. 
All right. So, I mean, and and you, and you know how I, I like to talk about, you know, football all the time. A lot of these games you can decide on the flip of a coin. If the Jalen Griffin play in the back of the end zone gets called a little bit differently, right? If they call touchdown instead of interception, right? And that's the call on the field and they review it. Guess what? We're standing well, here. Well, by the way, let's hey, we won one. That was a big win. It so, was a little tight, but we way, got out of here with one, right? I do want to follow up on that. They were, That was never going to be a touchdown. Uh, from the rule book, all they I'm were reviewing. About, I'm not talking about the ruling. I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying if some people are like that. a different way. Sure, but I'm just saying some people thought that should have been ruled to a touchdown. That was never going to be reversed to a touchdown. They were reviewing whether it was an interception or an incomplete pass. Just and, it should have, and by the way, for the record, it should have been ruled incomplete. Which yeah. would have made a difference because that would have yes. put the ball at the six. The four, of, actually. would have been the, four. the four. Right, so that you know that is significant, and I thought it should have been an incomplete pass. Right. Yeah, no, that, that call was completely blown. You definitely guys, you guys definitely have that right. And then with the way the defense was playing, like, listen – as much as I've been banging my drum about how much I predicted for this game, I'm going to throw all the credit in the world to uh, JJB, Jeremiah, Gene Baptiste, and the linebackers for handling business. Oh, but Kyle, they gave up the long touchdown to Malik Cunningham, who Coach Gus Malzahn has said is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. By the way, your FSU Seminoles better watch out, Lopez. I'm just saying. That- <laughs> the ACC, you know this. They all beat each other up and go 7-5 and five and play for the Belk Bowl. No, and, and, and listen, I love that you've maintained that narrative because you've right. worn me up. You've you've won me over. You've, you know, I've walked under your side on ACC football. Hey, you know. Welcome to the dark side. We have cookies there. Anyway, <laughs> yes. but um, with Malik Cunningham breaking off one big touchdown after what the fourth or fifth punt in a row where you would eventually have seven. Right. Um, that's kind of awesome considering what Malik Cunningham. No, they played well. Oh, the defense, the defense kept UCF in the game. There's no doubt about that. I think you got to be. But they're going to play better, way better offenses than Louisville coming up, and especially in a few weeks when SMU comes to town. Way better offense. That you know, that's so. This defense, I still think, has to be tested. And you know what? They're going to be tested a little bit this weekend in Boca. All right. Well, that's a wonderful transition, Eric Lopez. Thank you for that segue because that because that takes us to the FAU Owls, who have played three games on the season. Remember, they played in Week Zero. They have scored this season so far. They're two and one. Beat Charlotte and Southeast Louisiana last week. Lost at Ohio in Week One, but uh, their point totals this year, guys. And granted, yes, let's account for the opponents. But forty-three, thirty-eight, forty-two. Willie Taggart uh, is known for that. All right, he's known for putting together a team that can score points. We know that from his time at South Florida. 7.30 p.m. kick in Boca, CBS Sports Network. Uh, all that mentioned, you know, this is, okay, we had, uh, uh, let me let everybody behind the curtain here a little bit, okay? We had a little discussion earlier yesterday on Tuesday about whether this is a, quote, trap game, end quote. Eric, of course, is going to say that's a media made up media. Well, Kyle and I are in the same boat on this. Kyle actually agrees with him on this. I'm saying it's bastardized. There's a difference. Okay. Let me make the case. Let me make the case. I think from the fan base's perspective, okay, everyone's thinking, all right, we had eight days between this and the Louisville game. We know what we have to fix. Now we have to go fix it. And you know what? We're going to have a lot of this stuff ironed out 
in time for a Conference USA opponent. Even though it's on the road, you know something? We'll have this fixed. And I don't think some fans actually think that way. I think and I'm just saying, well, listen, road games in state, you know, this is if this, this is a if this, right. is a, this is a pretty good FAU team here. I'm not saying that they're going to compete for the that, G5 New Year Six. Jury, bit, jury's but, out on that still, but jur- okay. Well, the jury's just as much out on them as it is on Louisville. Let's put it that way. Agreed. No, I agree um, with that. Yeah, that's so. But they're going to come out fired up, right? Because you know they 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 I think they smell a little blood right now, and if UCF doesn't jump on them. Real quick, and you do exactly what you say, Eric. Remember, letting them hang around. Oh yeah, things yeah, can yeah. Get a little dicey, right? No, I agree a hundred percent with all that. That doesn't make this a trap game, though. A definition of a trap game is when things are going well, and you look past the opponent to the next opponent, and you kind of like, oh wait, that's a tricky game. This team lost, so there's no like looking past anybody. Uh, you're not in that position at all. Um, they so were. they that's a coaching problem, by the way. Yeah, so, look, I mean, FAU has a good quarterback, uh, Perry, who's the transfer from Miami, a uh, good playmaker. Yep, the the Willie Tiger comment, I mean, obviously you must have forg- you must have deleted the Florida State years there as far as offense is concerned because there was none <laughs> of that while he was there. Um, but, look, you're, it, this is FAU Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, they may actually, you know, they'll, actually, they'll have a sellout. Maybe half a crowd will actually be FAU fans. Uh, cause the rest of them are retired at home in retirement homes in Boca, Boca God Vista. Lee. But, um, that Let's being just said, hand them bulletin board material instead, right? Eric, come on. Jeez. No, but no, but that being said, you're right about this. There is pressure on UCF to get off to a good start. And you know, FAU is not a very good pass defense. They've given up a lot of yards. So you know that FAU is going to try to put a ton of people on the box and try to blitz. You know, what's coming. Ken, has UCF improved enough on that? And if they don't, is there going to be that, oh, boy. You know, is that going to be that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stressful. No, I t- so uh, that I think you're right. We're going to know within the first quarter, quarter and a half, what kind of night it is. Because if Plumlee doesn't get off to a good start, there's going to be some rumblings about the quarterback. Does the offensive line, are they having issues with FAU? Um I do think defensively they might run it. You know, FAU has some nice skill position players uh, that could pose some, you know, threats here. So you're right. Uh, you know, if you let them hang around, that becomes a very dangerous situation because then FAU will gain more confidence as the game goes on. FAU right now 91st in the country in passing yards allowed, 108th in team pass efficiency defense. Uh, although on the other side of the ledger, <clears throat> Nikosi Perry – is hitting on 62% for uh, just shy of 900 yards, so just shy of 300 yards a game. Nine touchdowns, two picks. Um, and uh, they also have Larry McCammon, their running back, who's averaging 100 yards a game. So, um, now again, I will say, I will repeat this. This is against the likes of, God, who do they play? Charlotte, uh, Southeast Louisiana. Lost to Ohio, didn't they? Yeah, they lost to Ohio. Ohio yeah. in in Athens, Ohio, at the very tail end of the game, gave up four touchdown passes in that game. Else to party? Yeah. And by the way, they were. And by the way, they were down forty-one twenty-four. Yeah. In that in the fourth quarter, that game actually came back to make it tight. Um. So, I mean, I don't know. We're gonna find out what UCF team. You know, I, I do think that this that you, we could call this Kyle a gut check game, right? 
No, that's fair. What do you? That's the, yeah, yeah. I agree. That's fair. Yeah, that's like fair. like. Yeah. All right, you lost by one at home in a game that in several different areas you could have said flip of a coin we win. What do you do? Do you end up getting beat twice, or do you turn around, go down, go down south, and take care of business? Yeah, no, that's that's a hundred percent an accurate assessment. And listen, I think that's what Sam Jack was getting to. Sam Jackson, of course, the the starting guard uh, and sixty year player, I believe. Um, you know, veteran for the offense in general, not just the offensive line. He said he will, he hopes that the offense gets aggressive in practice to uh, what's his word, kind of attack the problem rather than feel like their backs are against the wall. It's like, no, listen, we can take care of it here. It's on yeah. us to find the problems and be aggressive about get after it yeah uh, uh, and uh, i i another point i wanted to raise too is as much as people are talking about oh well it's insane hey listen the crowd at the end of the day is still going to be louder for the offense mm-hmm. to cause miscommunication and you don't get that at home you know so i i mean sure it means a bus ride instead of a plane ride sure it means you know less time to get home and Oh, and less time to get there and less discomfort perhaps in making a trip. But during the game itself, it's it that I think that a little bit too much is made of the fact that it's in state and, and, and you know, not to, not well, especially there's going to be a good UCF turnout there. In yeah. Boca. yeah. Like it was last time they're there. Hopefully the stadium has improved. So, some of the things last time there was a ton of complaints. Well, the bit well the of, big of complaint the last time was there weren't enough uh there, there weren't enough points of entry, and so a lot of people were having trouble getting into the stadium in time. Uh like so there were a lot of people who were stuck outside in the line waiting to get in until the second quarter. So yeah, I agree with you, Eric. I, I would hope that 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 FAU has had that worked out, you know. It's important. Remember, FAU is going to the American Conference next season, so uh, they better figure that out, right? And I and that's why, like I said, I think for FAU this is a measuring stick. How do we stack up against a team in the American and, and all that? So it's it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, CBS Sports Network. So be prepared for uh, you know five you know ten years of worth of commercials. <laughs> Kyle, I hope you've got I, caffeine on you, brother. Listen, I'm bummed. My 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 uh, my. Graduate school professor Dave Ryan is not doing this game. <laughs> uh, I'm bummed about that, but uh, but yeah, yeah. This is this is a big gut check game here. So, all right. Well, let me ask the two of you before we go to break. And Kyle, I want to start with you. Um, how's this thing play out? Listen, the difference here with uh, with FAU is that they have a balanced offense that's what's going to be more challenging uh not to take anything from malik cunningham uh, but he has yet to complete a passing touchdown um so too i was reaffirmed in talking to the orlando sentinels matt Merchell name um, dropper the other night well hey listen i mean i gotta want to pick up that name over there listen he's he's a wiser <laughs> college football mind than i am i want to give him credit who had the better suit you or matt oh well oh, for listen, god's sake here's the thing He's the baron of the bow tie. Because I saw Drew complaining about, hey, we need polo. And I'm like, oh, boy, that sounds to me like Kyle brought his I'm working on it for crying out loud. Why? I mean, Kyle likes a suit anyway. You're a suit guy, Kyle, as long as I've known you. I don't know you without a suit. Well, uh, let's be careful. I don't wear a jacket to the game in Florida. I'm not in full suit. You know, I reserve that for bowl games and championships, okay? But, um... (laughs) Wow, okay. I didn't know you had, like, good grounds, you know, levels there of gear. 
Oh, hey, listen, if I go back, if I go back to an NY6, my game's got to get stepped up. I'm so you have different clothes for New Year's Six versus like okay, the Okay, this is this is one step above talking about press box food. Let's let's go let's get back to the point that I'm <laughs> that we're trying to make here, Kyle. No, but with uh, with Malik Cunningham having only completed one passing touchdown, there's room for criticism of Louisville's pass game. With FAU, they're a bit more balanced. Ninth in total offense, according to Coach uh, Gus Malzahn, definitely a threat. Offensively, this might be a game where I look for UCF to actually physically dominate because they have bigger athletes in this instance. So if the offensive line can't physically dominate an FAU, boy, we got bigger problems. And, and listen, guys, you, you've, you've asked me in, in different uh, permutations the question of what can they do to get better. I mentioned some of the cohesion and so short-term things that they can do. The real answer is Gus Malzahn keeps talking about recruiting like his hair is on fire. And we've seen him do that in the skill positions. I hate that. It's such a slur against offensive linemen, but I digress. Um, but dude is going to need to become a chef, a, a butcher, if you will, and find some beef. And, and, and if, because he's managed to do it on the defensive side, the offense needs some of that, uh, uh, beef in the middle on the, on the line in the trenches, and it needs to be aged properly so it can be seasoned to protect quarterbacks of the future. Boom. Try that analogy. Hmm. <laughs> That's like almost skirting on the border of a dad joke in a way. It's like, you know. That, well, there uh, is such a thing as skirt steak there, Jeff Sharon. Oh, God. All right. Eric, what save me I from this one. How do, you say, how do you see this one playing out? I think UCF needs to win and win comfortably. Otherwise, because you're going to get tougher games moving forward. Like SMU's coming in a couple weeks. That's more talented. You've got Cincinnati, who everybody, we've portrayed them as having a bunch of walk-ons. Uh, and yet they should have beaten. They were right there with Arkansas. It was pretty good. So, uh schedule is going to get tougher and there's really no room for error i i think this kyle makes a lot of good valid points as far as you know if things don't go well what it could mean hmm. uh smu by the way they're at maryland uh yeah on fs1 on saturday night and then home for tcu the week after that's before big two play. weeks for smu they're really yeah, the yeah, i feel like i feel like the jury's still out on them because yes they sure. scored a bunch of points in their two games but it's been against north texas and lamar well the, the whole jury's out on the american it's been a disappointing start houston loses a bad game at texas tech where they give up a fourth and 20 in overtime uh meanwhile you know and have, right now they're playing from catch-up as far as having any shot for new year's six because the sub belt is up in fire with their big weekend last weekend. Yeah, right now there's uh, only two teams in the American that are two and zero: yeah. SMU and Tulane. Everybody else is one and one except for Navy, who's zero and two. With no quality wins to, to speak of, uh, that's a problem. So that's disappointing. And that's good. I guess you can look at it from a UCF perspective. That's good news. It's wide open. Uh, but then you're all like, like man, yeah, you know, it's just uh, can we just can this stuff gets fixed? So we'll see. Eric, can we? Texas oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you were saying Texas Tech. I believe you mean UTSA, yes? No, no, Texas Tech. They played in Lubbock this weekend with Tim Brando on the call. Texas Tech beat Houston in overtime because the iron was in un was unkind to Houston. Actually, yeah, it wasn't. Well, well um, yeah, that's well, those. Well, Houston hasn't played uh, at home yet, and and the game you're referencing to uh, uh, Kyle was the opener was, against UTSA the where they were four. UTSA yeah. Where, where they had, where they did win it in overtime in the yeah. Alamo Dome, yeah. and then so 37-35, and then they lose to. 
Tech, at Texas Tech in Lubbock 33-30 last week. So, I mean, hey, listen. Two coin flip games there for Houston, right? Yeah, at least Texas Tech is 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 a a team in a major conference. And, no, know. they are. It's just what's disappointing. It's very similar to UC. It's an opportunity. There's high yeah, expectations they, they had there. that game. And they didn't hold on to it. And, again, when you look at what Appalachian State has done, beating Texas A&M, that win is going to carry water all year. Marshall beats Notre Dame. You got Georgia Southern beating Nebraska, basically uh, putting the final nail in the coffin of the Scott Frost era. The Sun Belt, right now, if they take care of business, say Appalachian State wins out or whatever, they're going to be the New Year's 16. The Americans in trouble in that regard. They don't have any of those wins uh, that comes close to that right now, if we're being honest. And that's that's concerning if you're the American because your goal is for your champion to at least be at a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. And it's the other thing, if you're Houston, you're looking back at this game and thinking, man, we had this because they had a mm-hmm. 2017 lead with 37 seconds yep. to play and then gave up a six-play drive in in 30 seconds, basically, to surrender what was the game-tying field goal that sent it to overtime. Um, yeah, so the American – well, like I said, if you're UCF – and I said this on Twitter after the after the game in Louisville. Hey, all the stuff that you can control if you're UCF, and you always talk to me about that, Eric, right? Mm-hmm. All the stuff that you can control is still within your control and in front of you. Right. right. Just improve on the areas and, so, uh, yeah, we'll like see what looks. Yep. Uh-huh. So, now, speaking of, uh, speaking of things that, uh, that you can control or cannot control or whatnot, uh, actually, I don't know how that segment that segue plays in, but uh, the news came down this week. Scott Frost has been fired by the University of Nebraska. They elected not to wait three more weeks until October the first and pay them and paid seven point five million extra dollars to get rid of him after their loss to uh, Clay Helton's Georgia Southern Golden Eagles. Um, the uh I'm belt baby i tell you uh when we look back at scott frost in nebraska you know w- w- much has been made about this obviously you know uh uh him being you know basically leaving ucf for the o- the only job he would have left ucf for at the time i think we all know that at the end of the day guys as we wrap up this first segment did he make a mistake no no, you never make a mistake when you chase your dream. That's the thing. That's why I'm very somber uh, about this, although he's going to be fine financially. I get all that. But this was his dream job, and we should be encouraging people to chase their dreams, not discourage it. Um, unfortunately, if Nebraska, I think if Nebraska was still in the Big 12, I think he would have been successful. But, Kyle, I know you've alluded to it. Good point. His system, I don't think, fits in the Big 10. It never did. Uh, they never really got the talent there to match up because the Big Ten, it's, it's Ohio State's conference, all right? You're not going to out-recruit Ohio State. You're probably not going to out-recruit Michigan. You may not out-recruit Michigan State. You still have Wisconsin. I mean, now, you know, so whereas in the Big 12, I think Nebraska was always a fit. They had they could get people from Texas. And, you know, that's one of the concerns with all this realignment stuff. Our schools are taking the money, but is it really a good fit? And I don't think Nebraska has ever been a good fit or football in the Big Ten. So that's part of it. Uh, that being said, I think his loyalty to Eric Chenander kind of caught up with him. He never replaced him defensively. They've struggled there. The black shirts have never been black. They've played more like, you know, opposite of black shirts, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> uh, so 
but I'm unfo- I'm bummed out about it personally because it's his dream job. I know some UCF fans are taking pleasure in that, but I actually think this hurts yeah, a lot UCF. of Schadenfreude out there. And I understand how maybe some things were handled perfectly at the end and all that, but I would argue that Scott Frost failing at Nebraska actually hurts the UCF brand because if he was successful, that helps the UCF. I want UCF coaches that leave here to do well because it shows that hey, you know. UCF's dark got good coaches. You can coach here. It helps the, the whole thing. Now, by him not basically coaching well, there's going to be some out there. They're like, you see, that 2017 team was all fluke. Now, I don't agree with I, that. I, I, don't, I don't agree, but that's going to be the, the – oh, how good could they have been? Scott, no, I, but, I, know, I think anybody who, who argues that is doing so in bad faith. Uh, it's I, college I football fans. That's what they do. <laughs> that's what and they I do. get that. I get right. that. Like, you know, it, uh, it should, if it wasn't called, I'm not football, saying it would be I'm called that, bad but faith. But. I'm not saying it's that, but I'm just saying there will be that. There will be some critics out there about uh, that. But more what, importantly. Can, you know what? They can cry more because we got the banner. So deal yeah, with it. Yeah, it's a, a banner. B, uh, but, this is, oh, go ahead, Elo. I'm sorry. Well, my last point for some there is that are taking pleasure in the Scott Frost thing, I will ask you this question How many New Year's Six bowl games has UCF won since Scott Frost left? <laughs> Zero. How many undefeated seasons have they had since Scott Frost left? Zero. Well, I, I, I well, including bowl games. Okay. I think we should appreciate what he did in those two years, but especially that year, especially going back and forth when he didn't have to for the Peach Bowl. Remember, he was recruiting and then coming back. Um, I just think we got to let some of the some of the fan base has to let some of that stuff go. So I, I'm okay. not. Uh, I'm not Milton. I thought you know made a made yes. a great point. He he you know kind of came to Scott Frost's defense for, you know and uh, on Twitter and you can take a look at that. Uh, Mackenzie doesn't come here without Scott Frost. That's right. You know. Um, so bottom line, yeah. And you know, I I feel terrible for for Scott. You know, I mean, like you said, you you chase your dream job. That's which you know, and and, and you he Lord knows he was given the resources. It just it just didn't work. And I tell you the truth, it comes down to the you know what I, I've said about programs like Nebraska and and the S and other programs in the SEC and the Big Ten that just go you know that that go through coaches with these Auburn's a great example. Nebraska is one of those programs that is too big to fail, and you have a lot of cooks that are back there in terms of the donors and all that kind of stuff who are who want things done a certain way. Coach and and the coaches are not allowed to coach. They are forced into do making certain decisions. They're forced into keeping certain people happy rather than actually being allowed to just coach the team. And I think that was the case in Nebraska. And and, and the proof of that of them being too big to fail is the fact that if they waited twenty one more days, they would have it would have only cost them seven and a half million I say only it would have cost them seven and a half million dollars to fire Scott Frost they couldn't wait that long and they decided to fork over twice that amount of money to make him go away I'm sure that's what they publicly Jeff but a part of me can't help but feel like um that they want to take care of Scott Frost um as a son of Nebraska and and Trev being a fellow alum that's an interesting theory and, and, That's a good point, actually. I didn't think about that. And moreover, in doing that and taking care of him, he's less inclined to badmouth that very sort of occurrence 
taking place. I think that's fair. I um, think so. I think that's, that's fair. An interesting and, point. And, well, and some people have said that Trev kept Scott this year because he wanted it to work. Now, I think the writing was on the wall when basically forced Scott to bring in Mark Whipple to call plays. Anybody that covered Scott Frost, and you did, Kyle, and I did, there's nothing that Scott loves more than calling plays. Oh, yeah. And, and you knew that, like, after the Northwestern game, where he's pretty much taking shots at Mark Whipple's play calling. Like, yeah, yeah, we could have done this, should have done this better. Um, unfortunately, when you start ha- taking away a coach's kind of some of their stuff they like to do, that's the the right end of the wall. In retrospect, they probably should have parted ways at the end of last season. But I think you're right. I think out of loyalty, they probably try to see if they can make it work this year. And they probably, you're right. That's a good point, Kyle. And listen, I'll put it this way. From a football standpoint, and I'm not somebody who's dancing on the 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 grave of the Nebraska portion of Scott Frost's career. Listen, Frost is the first coach that I covered uh, as being a member of a beat regularly. And the dude was awesome. Um, incredibly likable. Uh, I learned a few things about the game of college football just from listening to him in press conferences. Um, and and then Miles Hall arrived, and I learned a lot more. Um, but I think something I've said that I think holds true is that that style of finesse football doesn't fly in the Big Ten. I agree. Because the size that you need to battle these corn-fed dudes in the trenches that they got not only on the line, but then Penn State as linebacker you and yeah. all this other stuff, all these other guys will bash the center of those offenses and break through. This is why you see Stanford regularly upset Oregon. Why is Oregon relevant? Scott Frost came from there eventually. That style of finesse offense is a thing. I like the point made that he would have done better in the Big 12, perhaps. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel like he was going to succeed in the Big 10. I have a theory I'm going to test that theory uh, against somebody I'm hoping to talk to this weekend, but let me. Another name dropping. Go ahead. Name dropping. Drop the name yet. I'm just teasing it might come, but I'll add this to it as well. Um, You mentioned Mackenzie Milton, not making it into the fold without Scott Frost. Let me tease another conspiracy theory that I'm going to run past you guys. When Drew's back uh, on Saturday on and around the FAU game, then when we're talking about that on night shift, I can argue that there's not been a truly great offensive lineman to come into the building since Scott Frost, except for maybe one. Hmm. I have to go back and look at it. Uh, I will say that I will say one thing. Oh, let me let just real quick rapid fire before we go here to wrap up the segment. UCF offensive analyst, Scott Frost. Yes or no. No, no, no. Alabama offensive analyst probably is the more accurate. Why is why is Nick Saban like the, the Be- No, you, you you joke, but that's <laughs> a smart move. Like I, I do think the next chapter of Scott Frost is gonna be fascinating. What does he do? Does he take time off from football? Does he wanna be an, an you know an assistant in college? You know, whether does he reunite with Chip Kelly, for example, UCLA? Does he go with Nick Saban and be an analyst and get rehabbed, if you will? Because as we've seen you know, if you if you're if you are within a mile, a five mile radius of Nick Saban, you're going to get hired. So, uh, you know, that's part of it. Does he want to maybe take a low assistant position in the NFL? There was always whispers that his ultimate goal was to be in the NFL. Uh, does he want to be in the a, NFL? So. Right. Does he want to be a head coach at a non-power five school? Maybe a job in Tampa will open real soon. That you know, he's had success oh, in the boy. state of Florida. Uh, I oh, really boy. am interested. Could you I don't imagine? Know. Well, what do you oh do? Oh my God! So let me ask you both. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think he'll do, or what do you think he should do? I'm really fascinated what he does next. 
So, you know, I go ahead, Kyle. First of all, Elo, as much as you call out conspiracy theories and media hype, this stuff about him going to a non-Power 5 school to head coach, that's media hype, and I'm a little... You don't think he'll ever go back then? You think it's above him? Not to to USF? God, no. No, no, okay, not maybe uh, just in general. I'm just saying, but I just throw out USF because I do think that job's going to open. Here's where Uh, I will defend you. If the Sun Belt is continuing to rise like we're talking about, there's an outside 10% chance. But Scott Frost has done too much. Listen, the other piece, all the sentimentality that we talk about where Tom Osborne came and and, and was the final convincing straw that eventually broke the back of his going to Nebraska. Listen, I buy all that. I think that's how it happened. But let's not act like the goal of even considering Nebraska was not a long-term job move to get into a Power 5 program to add to his resume. And while I would love Scott Frost, offense analyst, I will dive at the chance to make it to those press conferences to talk to him again. We all know the smart thing to do is to concentrate on his career. Alabama, if he can pull it off, is the correct mark. I'll give you this. I don't like the concept in my mind for his career of going with Chip Kelly, but we've also seen sentimentalities on his mindset as well. If he gets to Alabama, he's going to do that to advance his career. And then if that goes well, the sky is the limit. I think we see him in the NFL too. Go ahead, Jeff. Um. If I'm Philip Montgomery at Tulsa, I better win some games this year. That's true. He's another one under fire, yeah. Because let me tell because if if Scott is is Nebraska's native son, right, and his scheme works better at a G five level, Tulsa's located in Oklahoma, well, not far from Nebraska. The big thing for Scott, though, he's got to be committed. If he's going to go back to being a G5 head coach, is he committed to that? Because, I, you know, there's coaches that go to the Power 5, get a taste of it, and then struggle going back to the G5. So, that's that's true. That's true. I you think know, we so saw is that he, with right. uh, Charlie Strong. Yes. An example of that. Yes. Um, that doesn't uh, – I mean, also it doesn't necessarily mean that maybe head coaching is the is the thing for him. Maybe he goes somewhere to be an offensive coordinator. Could be. Maybe yeah. – uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know which teams are really, you know, are going to be hurting for an offensive coordinator. I think the most likely uh, person that may re- – so, but- I think the most likely person that could return to UCF of all this, Sean Becton. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Um, in some capacity, in some capacity, playing out that you know because you know Sean's been coaching for a long time now. Yeah. Um, but not Scott. I don't see Scott coming back. I don't know. It's you know he he's got a lot going on. So you know let him. He's got to. Got to heal. Out. He's got to heal because yeah. that you know it stinks. Because like now, like you, you you know you've been you've been fired by your your hometown your 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 school the school that you grew up as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, wanted to play for and eventually coach. And it's over now. So what do you do? It's it's like you are going all the way back to square one. So I, I don't know about all the way back to square one. He's a, he's, he has a nice resume uh, uh, to, to consider, too. And no, we- I get that. But, you know, when it, it's it just hits different when your your place says, all right, you're done. But like, think-, think about think about hype at Oklahoma, right? right. Right. But he's bounced back, though. He, he's, you know. To his credit, he bounced back. But where did he go after that? South Dakota, right? Got to Missouri, oh. then got the UCF yeah, job. He got and to Missouri, to moved his way right. back up. Right. What is Scott willing to do? That's what we don't know. And he has to figure that out. But he, the good news for him, he's, he's going to have $15 million uh, 
while he, he could. Uh, if, if I was him, I'd just go to the Bahamas. I mean, we could make room for him here on the Black and Gold Banneret. He could be an a- guest yeah, analyst here with Kyle and Brett. Right? Yeah. We could push Drew to the side here, you know? It could be Kyle and Scott. Kyle and Scott in the post. No, I, I listen, I would be all in on a on a uh on a Kyle Scott Frost and Drew like night shift type or like Tuesday night, you know, recap wow. or wind down or something. I mean Listen, Scott. I don't know if you're listening, but if you're if you're, you're are you sending the bored, offer? Are you sending the invitation right now? If you're if you're bored, you know where to find us. I mean, you know, I mean, we were there, you know. So, uh, hey, what you, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Anyway, I think it's uh, likely that he'll replace Nathaniel Hackett in, in Denver based off of this. Oh, oh boy, oh boy, that's wow. man, wow, yeah, that, and you know that's a good place to end this segment on because. As I, as I also said on Twitter, no matter how bad you may think it gets, it could always be worse. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez back with you and uh, joining us now. Uh, a member of the UCF Twitter Mafia, even though he covers FIU and some FAU for Underdog Dynasty, our sister site on SB Nation, co-managing <laughs> editor of Underdog Dynasty uh, and podcast host, UCF graduate Eric Henry joining us. What's up, Eric? How are you, man? Oh, man. I don't know if I'm worthy of that introduction, but you know what, Jeff and Eric, I am going to run with it. So what is going on, fellas? Appreciate you having me on. You are always worthy of that introduction. Stop. (laughs) That's what you are. The most modest man on Twitter. That's what you are. And I just... I, 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 I got to be a, a change-up, Jeff, to like, you know, the extremes one way or the other. It's not to just be a nice little even keel on Twitter, you know? I wish I wish I had your I wish I had your patience and empathy <laughs> sometimes. But anyway, I wanted to we wanted to bring you in because obviously you cover FIU and FAU, and uh, and have been following uh, the Owls this year as Willie Taggart uh, approaches uh, a transitional year in much the same way that uh, UCF is approaching a transitional year. FAU is moving into the American next year. Uh, the Owls come into this game with UCF as underdogs, but they are two and one, uh, on the season played in week zero. Uh, but, uh, you know, so far that the one thing that has been a constant for them this year, Eric is scoring points and, uh, they dropped 40 now granted. Okay. Competition, right. But they dropped 43 on Charlotte. They scored 38 at Ohio and lost by three and then dropped 42 on Southeastern Louisiana. Um, how is it looking right now for the Owls, at least on offense? Does Willie Taggart finally feel like he's got some solid footing underneath him? Yeah, fellas. So when you talk about the Owls, you really got to start with the fact that it is a, as you mentioned, a transitional year for the program going to the American, very much a transitional year for the offense. They bring in uh, former Middle Tennessee State offensive corner Brent Dearman. And for you know listeners who may not be familiar with the Owls or Brent Dearman's time in Middle Tennessee. Um, he is a guy who runs a very up-tempo, uh, you know, you'd almost say in any offense in college football nowadays, it's got those air raid principles, you know what I mean? Uh, it's very similar. Again, I wouldn't call it by stretch of imagination an air raid offense, but um, kind of a hybrid spread, hybrid air raid in terms of the principles, in terms of the passing game. So they're going to look to run plays, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly to those receivers and make plays. And that's 
really translated this year, guys, to the amount of points that they've scored. I think Nikosi Perry, A, Willie Taggart spoke about it from even media days, Conference USA media days, as to how much more comfortable he feels with this program. They came in year one from Miami and, you know, wasn't there in time for spring, you know, just was a guy who was going to be there in time for fall and just wanted to find his place amongst his teammates and not rock the boat. This year, Willie Taggart said that, you know, Nikosi's been much more vocal, much more about, hey, you know, I need this route run this way, or I need this from these receivers. And it's really showed, guys. I mean, even though last week he, he threw two interceptions, it was his first two interceptions of the year against Southeastern Louisiana, and he's looked just so much more poised and in control of this offense. I mean, I had a chance to cover what, three FAU games last year? And at times looked a little tentative, but this year he just looks to be the man in command. And then, you know, I'll transition to some of the uh, weapons around him on offense. You got to start with uh, kind of a surprise at running back, fellas. You know, a former USF transfer, Johnny, or for USF Bull, uh, Johnny Ford, was the guy last year for FAU, had over a 1,000 all-purpose yards, but he hasn't been seen this year. Uh, a name for Knights fans to keep an eye on is Larry McCammon from Hoover High, you know, anyone who watched the old MTV documentary, uh, Two A Days, you know, that's mm-hmm. the high school is from there in Alabama. Um, guys, he looks like a legit running back. He was a three-star prospect coming out, but got banged up his first two years. This year, a lot of quickness and definitely something, you know, for UCF fans to pay attention to coming off of the rushing performance of last week against Louisville. And then some of the guys, you know, as far as the receivers, uh, Jaquan Burton, Jamal Edron, two taller receivers. Uh, Lejante Wester, kind of a you know shifty slot guy, and Tony Johnson. So, all in all, that FAU offense has definitely been moving and trending in the right direction. It's just a matter of you know outside of that two and a half quarters they had at Ohio, in which seemingly I, it, it, it's one of those things I'm still trying to make sense of. I don't know what happened where they went up 16-0 and just kind of took their foot off the gas pedal and let Ohio you know get back in the game and momentum being on the road. Outside of those two and a half quarters, guys, they've been phenomenal. Of course, you mentioned Perry, the quarterback, used to be at Miami. How has he looked in this offense? And then another familiar name, the defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, who's made the the rounds in the sport, including obviously former defensive coordinator at Houston under Tom Herman and company, of course, was at USC. They've struggled a little bit with the past defense, but I'm curious, Perry, how he's fitting in, and then Todd Orlando in the defense. Yeah, so just kind of piggyback on what I said, Eric, about us. Nicosi Perry, I mean, again, he just looks so much more comfortable in the offense. And people tend to forget because of the way his Miami tenure went or his Miami career went. Uh, this kid was a four-star recruit coming out of Ocala. I mean, you know, 6'4", a buck 85, you know, still still doesn't look any, any more stout in terms of his frame. But he's got the arm talent. You know, he's got all of the physical tools. And you can definitely see his uh, playmaking ability, as I mentioned, with those receivers, specifically Jamal Edron and Jamal Edron and Jaquan Burton say that three times fast, but those are two taller receivers who tend to make plays on the outside. Uh, Tony Johnson as well, 6'3", a buck 90. He's a bigger target on the outside. And then LeJante Wester. Uh, Wester led the team in receptions and, re- and receiving yards last year, but is working out of the slot this year. So it's been a bit of an adjustment. But yeah, I mean, that offense looks night and day. And even the offensive line, um, they've got a, a middle Tennessee transfer, Dorian Hinton, who came down with Brent Dearman has been at the guard spot. looks pretty good there, you know, so guys like Evan Neal and others. So um, that whole offense is kind of rounded to form and formed well. And quickly on the defense, and, you know, we can kind of flesh this out as far as you want, but um, FAU's defense very quietly in conference USA over the past two years, has been one of the better groups, uh, kind of a sum of all parts defense. Um, I will point out that it's friends and I'll get to the secondary in a second, Eric, but um, arguably one of the best, 
defensive lineman in Conference USA and Evan Anderson, an Orlando guy from Jones High School, 6'4", 340, a mountain of a defensive tackle. He's not going to play. That should play in the Knights' favor because he's one of the top nose guards in Conference USA. But uh, when you get into that secondary, you know, a guy like TJ Young, quietly one of the top uh, defensive backs in all group of five football, you know, he's been dealing with a neck injury, but when he's healthy, he is right. Um, a, a matchup that I'm really intrigued to see how it'll play out, Eric, is um, Romaine Smoke Mungin. Uh, he's about 5'9", buck seventy-five. Tampa guy to Plant High School. Uh, plays much bigger than his size. You know, he's one of those old school cornerbacks that even though he's on the smaller side, definitely rises to the occasion. I'm, I, I want to see just in terms of an athletic matchup, I think him versus Javon Baker. Um, that should be an interesting matchup. So after Javon, about 6'1", you know, 205, 210, has a size advantage, but definitely should be something to keep an eye on in the secondary. Um, and also, again, if TJ Young does play, he's one of the top defensive backs in all the group of five football. So that defense has definitely come along together, um, come, come along uh, as the season's progressed under Todd Orlando and a, kind of a sum of all parts defense. Let me ask you about this FAU team in terms of, you know, in relation to UCF, and you've touched upon some of those things, but I want to get your real take on this. You've watched UCF first two games um, as a, as a beloved alma mater, as your beloved alma mater, and you followed FAU to this point. What are the spots that you feel FAU is vulnerable to UCF? And what are the spots that you feel UCF could be vulnerable to FAU? I think FAU is vulnerable to UCF, like I mentioned, with Evan Anderson being out. That is a huge loss. I think a guy like Isaiah Bowser, you know, a big running back, because for all of the comparisons you can make of the Knights and the Owls, as far as both being G5 teams, you know, um, UCF, in terms of just sheer size on both lines, uh, I mean, we know how long we've seen Sam Jackson play at UCF for what feels like a decade now, right? You know, um, across the UCF offensive line, they have bigger and better size than a FAU defensive line. That's really going to depend on, you know, a kind of like a, a, a quickness and slippery guys, guys like Jalen Joyner and, and others on the outside. So um, I, I expect, you know, Isaiah Bowser and even to an extent, uh, John Rice Plumley to be able to, you know, take advantage of the rushing lanes there. Now to flip it on the other side in terms of FAU, Again, I really like, um, not that UCF secondary necessarily a struggle per se. I mean, we saw they came off of a solid outing, even though Malik Cunningham isn't, you know, for in my opinion, Malik Cunningham, while a great dual threat, isn't quite the passer that Nikosi Perry is. Uh, we saw what the secondary did last week against Louisville, a pretty solid job. But uh, don't sleep on FAU's receivers. Again, they just are a, a young and growing bunch, really athletic. And, I, and I'm probably saying this name for the third time, Lejante Wester, a guy who can work in the slot. You know, he's that, that guy who, you know, in today's college football is going to run those mesh routes, going to run those quick ins, you know, things of that nature that get you five, six, seven yards. So those will be two matchups that I'm really, really intriguing to look at. And, I, and I'll give you a, a few players in terms of for FAU uh, linebacker, Eddie Williams, He's a junior linebacker, a guy out of Miami who's waited his turn to start. And he's really been tearing it up over the first three games Has you know, a little over, uh, uh, I believe he has 26 tackles, you know, four and a half tackles for loss and two sacks. It, it, he's going to be a big factor only because Evan Anderson isn't there. So if they're going to have any chance of stopping the Knights inside, it's going to be that Mike, like Mike linebacker. And again, for, for UCF, uh, definitely really intrigued to see that Javon Baker matchup versus smoke Munchen because with his size advantage, he should be able to make some plays. I want to ask you about FAU here in the big picture. It's the last year for them in CUSA before they go to the American. Uh, there's a White as an AD there, Brian White, of course, the brother of Danny White. 
And we have an FAU alum who's also a UCF alum in our staff. And I talked to him, and he's like, hey, Willie better get him to a bowl game this year. Uh, I'm curious, what was your expectations for FAU going into this season, considering, you know, the competition will get a little tougher going to the American? Of course, they'll have some friends with him joining them in the American, which is a whole other storyline. But what was the what's the expectations around Willie Taggart and, and the Owls this year? And, and could does Willie need to produce to have a bowl team this year? Quick question, Elo. Uh, was that Noah Goldberg? The that is about? correct. It is Noah. Right. Yeah, yes. I, I, is he, the only, he must be. He's the only one that could say he's a graduate of both. <laughs> and you'll see him on Saturday. You'll be there shooting photos. Noah's a good guy. Shout out to Noah. Love, love, uh, love his work and love what he does. But no, uh, to your question. I mean, I think he got to start. It, it was no secret, Eric, that at the end of last year, it was a little dicey for a few, you know, period of a period of time as to whether Willie Taggart would return because they weren't happy with the way things ended four straight losses to end the year. You start the year, you know, where they were, you know, five and two, five and three. And then if this collapsed down the stretch against teams, quite frankly, that they were definitely more talented than. So it, it definitely in terms of spinning it to this year. And when we spoke with Willie Taggart at conference USA media days in, in Dallas, uh, it, it was funny because I, he was always, you know, FAU was the first team up, you know, they did it kind of in sequence and you'd bring each team in. And there was this air of like uncertainty when he came in the room, you know, about how tense is Willie Taggart going to be. And he came in all smiles, all happy, you know, and it kind of, it made it easier on us media guys. So it's like, all right, you know, seemingly he's in a good mood. He's not like super tense about entering this year. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it that there is an expectation for this program, um, right or wrong, right or wrong, that coming off of the Lane Kiffin era, two conference titles in three years, the reason why the Ohio loss was so disappointing for people in Boca, because it felt, and you can make this case, even for UCF uh, loss against Louisville, you feel like you're past that point, right? And that you're, that game is a game that you should win. For FAU fans, they felt we're past being a, you know, a three-point game with a, a mediocre MAC team. Now, to play devil's advocate, you know, the cupboard was bare when, or I shouldn't say bare, let me re 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 retract that. Uh, it was not necessarily the team that Lane Kiffin had uh, when they were winning conference titles and Willie Taggart took over. So I think with the coaching additions, bring in Chad Lunsford from Georgia Southern, bring in Todd Orlando, bring in Brent Dearman. This is the year that you can truly say you've had a few years of your recruiting. You got your second year of your transfer quarterback, your quarterback out of the portal. This is the year that you have to produce. So uh, again, the loss to Ohio was disappointing, but they did beat Charlotte week one and they can still accomplish their goals in conference USA. But I, I think, in my opinion, they're going to need at least seven wins for Willie Taggart to feel super comfortable about entering. Got to get him to a bowl game. Get him yeah, to a yeah, bowl game. A bowl, a bowl game. And, and, and Elo, I don't think six and six does it. I, I think they need to be. Winning least, record. They need to be seven. Yeah, I don't think okay. six and six or six and seven does it. I think it need to be seven and above. Interesting. Uh, well, I will say this. All right. Let's just to start this up, if it goes south for Willie. You know, there's a coach out there that Brian White's brother uh, hired at UCF that's now available who's had success in the state of Florida. Just throw that out there. <laughs> Little Frost White reunion. Boca. <laughs> when we, well, listen, oh it, it might not be. If, if, we, if we get what to that point, it might not be bad. Is it Frost White, American? I, I think that could be. that. Yeah, It's an interesting point because, you know, Willie, it, it's so fascinating. He, he did a great job at South Florida. You know, when he had it there. And then obviously it was a fiasco at Florida State. And I've kind of been fascinated to see how it would work at FAU. Every the pieces well, no, that are, great at Oregon either. <laughs> well, yeah, when he was barely there five minutes. Yeah. Um, 
But it is interesting, uh, Eric, because, look, this is a, a critical time in college athletics, and you and I have talked about it. I mean, I remember last time you were on, we, we kind of butted heads about FIU in the future, and you did incredible work last year covering the whole Butch Davis fiasco and how that ended. Uh, and you were one of the few that was able to kind of be there and be able to get Butch to talk to someone, number one. So I'm kind of curious, where do you see right now FAU as they go to the American and FIU in general? And kind of what, what does it mean for both schools moving forward? Because, you know, we fo- over here we're obviously focused on UCF and the impact to the Big 12, but there's a rippling effect that's going on across college athletics. And you're, you, you got two schools in your backyard involved in this. Yeah, so first off, Eric, uh, when we came on, we did butt heads and you came out on the right side of things there in terms of that. So <laughs> I, I got to give you your credit there. It's funny. Uh, uh, a wise man once said to me uh, off the record, at least I think it was off the record. If it wasn't, he can uh, out himself that uh, FIU is about two decades behind UCF. Um, I'll let that wise man identify himself if he so chooses He's to. He's right but... <laughs> here. He's right here. I was I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. I had the wrong South Florida school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, FAU is invested um, in yeah. that FIU hasn't. And I, re- I think you had the report about how little FIU is invested in their football program. You know, in FAU, I've spoken to their softball coach who they just hired. They've talked about all the facilities that Brian White and the vision he's had and uh, things like that. So that's why it's two programs in co- totally universities in different directions. And we're seeing the impacts here with the realignment. Yeah, yeah. So to quickly, you know, kind of jump in here in oh. terms of, you know, I'll take it from the FIU perspective first. Um, they truly are starting from scratch as a name that Knights fans are familiar with. Uh, Scott Carr is the athletic director. Mm-hmm. It is night and day, uh, no pun intended, in terms of the way that they are doing things at FIU now. Now, listen, <laughs> I can't even begin to say when I say start from the, you know, the floor, things like a getting a booster club. You know, they just instituted their Panther Club, which, you know, you have hierarchies, you can donate and get access to so on and so forth. They didn't have that before. You know, so they truly are starting from scratch. Uh, It's funny. One of the things we asked Scott during his introductory press conference was how long his contract was. The reason we asked him that was he was like, hey, you know, five years. Is that long enough? And he said, and I I think it was fitting. He said, I think it's enough to buy me another five years. Um, So that goes to show kind of where the thinking is at FIU. So it is very much the long game in terms of conference realignment. That's out the window. I mean, for FIU, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that there will be one more round before it's all said and done. I just don't think they'll be up to to speed in terms of, um, you know, really having the infrastructure. Because we all know this, guys. It's not just wins and losses that's going to get you in a new conference. It's going to be, you know, on-field production, facilities. I mean, there's a reason why, like, North Texas and Rice were chosen. You know what I mean? Is Some of that what was just facilities and the infrastructure there. So it is going to take some time. Mike McIntyre is someone who has – uh, wasn't necessarily the most popular choice at first, but he is someone who has done it in previous stops. And I do think, you know, for example, uh, Tim Harris, the Knights running backs coach, was someone who, you know, I don't think Tim will, will mind anyone saying this. He, he wanted that job. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he was a former UC, a former FIU assistant, a Miami guy. But, and I would say this to Tim's face, so I have no issue saying it here, where I do think it would have been a tough ask is the FIU job, and it'll be a perfect segue to the FAU job, the FIU job isn't just coaching, guys. It's coaching and building their whole atmosphere from the ground up, uh, going there and Mike McIntyre going from Miami, you know, Northwestern to recruit a kid all the way to Doral to go talk to someone who could be a potential booster. 
So someone who has taken this job, you probably need to have the experience of building it from the ground up before. And I do think in Tim's case, it might've been a tough ask to be both, both a recruiter, a coach and a salesman. Yeah. So there's that. Whereas at FAU, you know, whether that's Willie Taggart's job or someone else's FAU stadium is one of the best in amongst that group of five ranks. Um, they just built the Smith, the Smith athletic facility, which is a, a phenomenal um, um, training facility. If you guys haven't seen it, it's right next to FAU stadium. It's, it's really well done. You know, their basketball facilities and whatnot, you know, that's Brian White's job, but just in terms of the football coach, everything is there in place for them. So I think they're in a nice place heading into the American with rice, North Texas, Charlotte, um, those are programs that in my mind, I mean, if you, if you put FAU and USF on paper, FAU is right there. I mean, sure. USF's getting their, you know, indoor facility, but they're right there. That so, a boy. That's yeah. a, see, Eric's are the smart people, I, my friend. I've told Jeffrey this on the show. If you told me I would buy stock FAU or South Florida moving forward. I take FAU. I really would. I, you know, I really, in, now in my defense, when I made that, when I said that about Florida international, Butch was coming in and I really thought that this, that was the right spot for him. And as Eric Lopez, you said, you know, to your credit, Eric Henry, um, it, it fell apart really quickly. And Butch was rather vocal about the fact that that there was there was not the support there that he required and that he expected. Um, but you know, like you said, Scott Carr coming in, you know, Scott. At, at, we've said it before in this program, Scott's got a heavy lift down there. But if there is anyone who can do it, Scott Carr can do it because um, we've seen what he's what he was able to do behind the scenes at UCF for the years that he was here. Um, it's a heavy lift, but you know he's got the he certainly has the right attitude. I want to go back to FAU for a second, and I say this as <clears throat> somebody who um, you know grew up in Broward County, not far away. Um, FAU for the longest period of time we considered it a four-year community college. And when I remember when I was a student at UCF and it came out that FAU was starting football and Howard Schnellenberger was going to found the program, the late Howard Schnellenberger um, uh, was starting the program. We thought, oh my God, FAU is going to play football? Like, is that like really? And Division One, like, you know, it was, <clears throat> it, it, it blew our minds. And they just slowly but surely kept the line going up and to the right. And you're absolutely right about the facilities, the investment that uh, that they have made in building that program, not just from the football perspective, but from other sports as well, to the immense credit. And they've been, I think, rightfully rewarded with a position, with a spot in the American, which I think is a good place for that program. The one thing that I'm curious about with FAU is the culture around athletics because it's one thing to produce a program that has all the bells and whistles but it's another thing to develop a culture among the students the alumni the fans how what it how is that looking from FAU's perspective because you know it, you th th there's still this perception out there that it's still a four-year commuter school but has the culture changed in a way similar to maybe it had changed for UCF when UCF built the on-campus stadium in 2007? 
Yeah, Jeff. So I, I do want to give this disclaimer, right? You know, part of this perspective is, is somewhat of an outside perspective. You know, someone who covers Conference USA, I've been to FAU multiple times, covered multiple games there, but I can't claim to be on the ground in Boca per se. But I, I, this is what I can say that I think is unique. Um, it feels like it's a bit of two pronged and, and they can't get both prongs on the same level. This is what I mean. When Lane Kiffin was there and they were producing Conference USA championships, you felt the buy-in from the greater Boca community and those people, right? The people who are going to fund the program, they felt like, hey, you know, Lane is, is, knows what he's doing. He's a name to recognize. They're all winning. aboard the Lane train, remember it's that? All aboard yeah. the Lane train. But the students didn't necessarily board the Lane train as much, right? Now, what's been interesting is in the first few games of this year, Jeff, students have shown out and I'll be very intrigued to see how the students show out, excuse me, on Saturday, because you're facing a team that, you know, in state, you, you got friends that will go to UCF. You got plenty of people that you, I expect to see a good student turnout, but the people who fund the program, have not necessarily had that buy-in on Willie Taggart. Right. So that seems surprising bit, to me. I mean, like, you know, cause like Eric was saying, like, it's not like Willie Taggart can't coach. No, but uh, the, the the way they finished last season probably showered fair. some people. Am I right, Eric? Fair. I mean that 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 finish really probably showered a lot of people. I mean, you know, I talked to Noah, like you mentioned earlier. I mean, there are some people they're disgruntled, uh, maybe with that bad taste from last year. Eric, not even. I mean, last year especially. Last year was yeah. probably the height of it. But even that COVID year, uh, I think there were people who were willing to say, okay, it's a COVID year. They'd still qualified for a bowl game. They didn't play, you know, ten games. I want to say they had some like what a five and four record of memory serves me correct because of course you know you didn't need six wins to get to a bowl um but yeah it, it, it has not necessarily been a fantastic love affair from you know really the middle of willie taggart's first year all the way on so uh back to your question jeff um that's what i think is unique i think for willie taggart uh they are playing a brand of football right now that at least is putting points on the scoreboard, similarly to how things were, uh, you know, during the Lane Kiffin era. And I think that will help maybe get the buy-in of some of those, you know, people, those older, you know, that Boca fan base who, who fund the program. But the students are on board. Um, and to me, just to bring it all the way around, it's weird, guys. Um, I don't want to go on too much of a diatribe, but I've, <laughs> I've given up trying to understand. And Jeff, you know, I'll defer to you as a South Florida native uh, or someone who grew up in South Florida. I, because I, 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 and, and you too, Eric. Um, I've given up trying to understand. I get it. There are things you can do in South Florida. FIU, I have given up trying to understand. I mean, anyone who knows where FIU's campus is knows you're not quite on South Beach, right? So, I mean, um, I would think on a Thursday, Friday night, you can go to a football game or a Saturday night, but I've given up. The same thing kind of applies with FAU and that, you know, now the students have come around, as I mentioned this year, but in previous years, I'm, I was like, I don't know what else there is to do in Boca from what I've seen. And, you know, I graduated UCF in 2014. Retire. Retirement homes are pretty nice. <laughs> right, right. Like I graduated college in 2014. I'm not that far removed from college. I, I, I don't remember there much being to do in Boca. Um, why are they not showing up? So uh, kudos and get, I mean, give them credit for so far this year being, you know, showing up. But it's always kind of been befuddling to me um, unless the only thing I have to go with this guys, and I will send it back to you on this, is from Palm Beach County down, from Jupiter down, 
it's just trendy to be a Miami fan. Bingo. Ding, just, ding, ding, if, ding. if you're going to invest yeah. in a college football game, you're going to go to Hard Rock Stadium, seemingly. No. Well, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I've, I've said before, like, you know, Miami is, a, in terms of the Miami Hurricanes, the Miami Hurricanes are not a college team. They're a second professional team in, in Miami. That's That, to me, is what they are. They, um, it, they have a, a, a more geographical grab on that on on south florida they just you know they just do um it's not it's not a college atmosphere at all you know it it, it just isn't so um go ahead Lopez, well and it fits say. on a, it fits on a pro it's a pro town that's the thing like you know when we discussed the fiu a few years ago Eric, that was and remember again full disclosure i had lots of family members that went to fiu so i have investments in fiu but i also know that town that's a pro town. That's a Dolphins heat town. And then Miami Hurricanes, who, by the way, now their head coach is the former FIU head coach, the greatest FIU head coach, Mario Cristobal. So that's the issue that FIU has always had. That's why I was always skeptical on FIU and we got back and forth. The FAU one's more interesting because they're a little further on the Boca side. And I'll be curious to see what happens when they go to the American, if they can gain some fans that go to the American. But – you know, the interesting thing about Broward, you're right. That's still a Dolphin Canes area. The Florida Panthers actually had a great success in hockey over there. It's a pro town. And I think FAU and South Florida, I've joked about it, but I am serious. I think that could be a good rivalry because I think both schools have the same problem. In South Florida and Tampa, that's a Bucks town, a Lightning town, Gators, Seminoles. FAU has the similar issues. And I guess winning big is the key. And it sounds like Willie Taggart, that's probably why some are soured on Willie especially following Lane Kiffin, who had great success. Guys, really quick, not to, you know, completely sidetrack the conversation, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm going to kind of bring all of our topics together here. We've talked about conference realignment and these programs. Um, I covered FIU at Texas State last weekend. Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill was in attendance. Um, and I said they had a great weekend, right? App State wins over, over oh gosh, I'm forgetting who they beat. Marshall beat Notre Dame. Um, App State beat... Um... Uh, Texas A&M, A&M. Um, yeah. Georgia Southern beats Nebraska. But one of the things that I think is super interesting, and of course you can't go back and do it now, you know, with the American, but one of the things that's super interesting about the Sunbelt's realignment guys is if you look at all of their schools or the, the bulk of their schools, it's like a three, four hour drive for all of those, for the majority of those programs. So in talking about building up those natural rivalries, you can hop in your car and be like, yo, I'm going to go to, you know, App State versus Coastal or whatnot, Right. And I think that's what's interesting in terms of bringing it back to FAU. And maybe you can get that with USF where you build in a natural rivalry, uh, you know, from Boca to Tampa is about three and change. Um, but the American doesn't have that benefit, right, of just true regionality. Um, so I think that plays a factor as well in terms of, you know, truly building that that fan and atmosphere and fan environment. So it's just a thought. It's one that I think. No, it's fair. I mean, the American's gone with stuff. Mike Oresco's gone with the approach of big markets for the most part. Yeah. Whereas the big, big markets and, and big and schools that pump out a lot of graduates too. That's the other thing. Yes. You know, and, and I think, and because we talked about this, I think it was uh, Eric, I, uh, Eric Lopez. I think we talked about this before is that that kind of business model, which I think is pretty interesting. You know, Oresco is going for, you know, like you said, major metro area schools that have a TV markets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also they're kind of like the number two school in that market, but they pump out a lot of graduates, a lot of public schools. Right. 
and UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, they're good examples of that. And they're all moving on. And I think one of the other things that's interesting too about the American, um, you know, he's placing bets on, he's placing a bet on that business model. The other thing that I think is interesting, Eric Henry, and I wanted to get your take on this too, is that when we saw this round of conference realignment, you notice how I, I think that the, the tell on all of this and maybe the tell going forward in the upper levels of, of FBS is schools that are properties with certain networks. The Sun Belt had a big television, a really good television contract, I think, with ESPN. The Americans' television contract with ESPN has is, is done, I, I think, has paid dividends for all of its schools, UCF included, even though probably UCF is worth more than what the average was for the conference. I still, you know, they went from zero to seven and a half million dollars a year in the span of less than a decade. That's, 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 that's serious. That's, that's a big jump when you really think about it. Conference USA does not have a deal with ESPN. And so what did we see? What were the te- where did the American pull its, its newest membership from? Conference USA. Well, yeah. Well, Eric, let me ask you. You were at CUSA Media Day. What's the talk around the league? What's the future for the league? We asked. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's so it's guys. I'm not the Judy McLeod bashing. Um, I think when you look at and we all know this as UCF grads and people who saw what the that round of realignment 2012 to 2013 ended up being. The, there wasn't much that Judy McLeod could have done in terms of the approach she took, right. Which was going for those big markets. Um, and listen, she's been bashed left, right, and center for the way things have turned out. The reason I, I giggled and hesitated is this. I say all that to give you the background. Um, when we approached Judy McLeod or uh, we were given access to our media days, the first words out of her mouth were, all right, guys, I want this to be a back and forth, not a shouting match. That just goes to show you where she was in terms of her level of like, I'm over this in terms of, you know, being on the defense Um, to specificity to the TV deal and what the talk was. It was a question she got. And she said, look, she kind of, you know, said, hey, um, I don't have anything to report right now. You know, we have something further to report. We'll give you something. But there definitely is a feeling. And I asked her specifically about the regionality. I, I said, hey, it feels to me as if this conference has now gotten even further spread out because you go to New Mexico State and then to Liberty, right? And her retort, which I, I failed geography class here, is that in theory, if you get rid of FAM, if you lose FAU and you lose Charlotte, right, but you get a Jacksonville State and a Sam Houston State, in theory, you got more of a cluster in that area. Uh, it's a, In my mind, it's a bit of a technicality on the answer because your furthest schools are still New Mexico State and Liberty and FIU. And yeah, I can only imagine what it's like to try to get, hey, FIU fans, you want to go to Lynchburg, Virginia? I've been to Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, I couldn't get an Uber out, fellas. I, I had a 7 a.m. flight and uh, I thought I was going to be walking to the airport. That's not a joke. Um, the one person who drives Uber yeah. on a Sunday morning picked me up and took me to the airport. So, uh, yeah. Shout out, fun- to the, shout out to the one Uber driver who works on a Sunday morning in, 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 in Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> Exactly. So you get my point. Um, but yeah, Eric, uh, I felt that the the Eric and Jeff, I felt that the talk uh, around the conference media days was really just kind of a wait and see approach. Um, we've taken Jacksonville State. They've had some success against FBS programs, Sam Houston State. At least they've committed to football. They are building. 
New Mexico State is what it is. Sorry to any, you know, Aggies fans who may catch this. Um, they've been a bad program under Doug Martin and now Jerry Kill for a long time. And then Liberty. So, and, and we know the direction of that, that program is in, but it comes with everything else. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I've, I've, in our, in our chat, I've been, uh, I, I have not held back in terms of my opinions on Liberty, and I will leave it at that. Um, but, it, you know, I mean, the, the one thing with New Mexico State, they're not far from UTEP. Right. Correct. Uh, Woo! But, El Paso, baby. I mean, Battle of Item. Hey, listen, that's some beautiful land out there. I'm not uh, going to lie. It's actually. I've been there. I've been there for a week, and uh, that's probably as. That's the last time I'll be there. Let's just leave it's, it at that. That's, that's more than enough. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the present here Saturday. I'm very curious about, I know the game is pretty much going to be a sellout. What do you think the ratio and the fan base will be Saturday night as far as UCF fans and FAU fans? 70-30. Um, I, 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 I think, uh, I think it's going to be a big UCF takeover. It's a heavy opportunity for the um, South Florida UCF fan base to get to this game. I, I know just from, you know, Twitter and a couple of group chats here, there are plenty of UCF fans who are, you know, in that area who plan on going. And of course, you have people going to make the trip. Um, that's, not, that's not to say that I don't think that FAU fans will show out, but I think if they were going into this game at 3-0, and I think there'd be a little more excitement. I think they're a little bit, you know, kind of skittish for lack of a better phrase because of that Ohio loss, you know, maybe like, all right, you know, I don't want to see us take it on the chin. But with that being said, uh, I do know, having been around, you know, at South Florida this past week, that some people are a little more excited giving UC, given UCF's loss to Louisville. But, yeah, I'm thinking 70-30, maybe 65-35. Ouch. Sounds to me like you're telling me some FAU fans might be making some profits selling tickets to UCF fans. I, 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 do, believe, <laughs> I do believe that, in fact, yes. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I, I always – this is my UCF fan PTSD coming in. Eric, because like there's something about this that's like, yeah, Willie Taggart, last time he played UCF, he won. That was back in 2016. I get it, but still. Uh, and if FAU is for real, this feels like this could be their real prove it game. I think this is, and, and I told Eric in the first second of our show, this is a real gut check game for UCF. You know, how do you come back after a disappointing one score loss at home to a team that you feel that you should have beaten? And then you're going down on the road in a, at least a semi-hostile environment against a team that's punching up at you. And yeah, I, what do you, and this will get us to, you know, the real question I want to yeah. uh, get an answer from you, which is how do you see this one playing out? I just finished writing the preview for Underdog Dynasty, and quite frankly, I think this is one that if FAU is going to win this game, it's going to be a shootout. You know, I, I think there was some idea that they can grind it out. No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be on Nikosi Perry's arm and those receivers. Um, but with that being said, how do I see this game playing out in the end? Um, quite frankly, all the points you make there are valid. I, I just think there's, there's too much at stake for UCF. In terms of, and this isn't my, you know, UCF alum bias coming in here. I just think for Gus Malzahn, I mean, as a coach, like let's take an objective perspective here. Like he didn't take this job to be one and two, losing to Louisville and FAU. You know, I think given the amount of talent that he's brought on this roster, they should be able to win this game at the end of the day. And I do, I think I had a final score of 31 to 21 in my preview. Hmm. All right. I, uh, yeah, well, all the, <laughs> all of us on the UCF, UCF side certainly hope you're, 
you're right about that. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be on CBS Sports Network kickoff is at 730. What's the weather going to be like down there, by the way? Oh, it's going to be another warm South Florida evening. No, not any, um, no rain. In, Are we going to get some in, sea in breeze at least coming off the coming off the coast? Hopefully, hopefully that would be nice. You know, I, I would hope for for one day not to be able to like sweat out all the hydration I have in my system by the time game day starts. So <laughs> yeah, no, no. you got to save it for when you come back up and see your alma mater. That's yeah, you, you nailed it exactly. Uh, Eric Henry uh, from Underdog Dynasty, UCF graduate, our good good friend. Um, Eric, update uh, UCF, uh, all the UCF fans listening on where they can find your work. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find my FIU and Conference USA coverage at Underdog Dynasty, which of course is SB Nation's home for Group of Five football coverage outside of our lovely team sites, such as the one that Jeff and Eric run here. Uh, and uh, last but not least, if you're ever interested, FIU, FAU at Shula Bowl Pod. Check us out on Twitter. All right. Eric, the pod. Is that rivalry going to continue? Um, it, it's Nothing is official, but we asked both Scott Carr, Brian White, and Willie Taggart, and they said they would like to see it continue. So. Oh, there you go. I bet FAU would like to see that continue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've yeah. had a lot of success. <laughs> I bet FIU would like to see that continue. It helps out their schedule, certainly. Eric Henry, thank you so much for joining us here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Uh, we will be following you on Saturday for the game and uh, safe travels wherever uh, as you head down. I'm making that long drive across Alligator Alley, as you always do. I don't know how you do it, but you get it done, man. The hardest working man in show business. Good seeing you, Eric. Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Three, two, one. So good to see Eric, man. I love that dude. I don't know how you, uh, uh, Libby, that one's for you. He's the best, man. He's that was awesome. for you. He's probably the best. He didn't, and seriously, he did an incredible job covering that whole Butch Davis story with FIU. Oh, he nailed it. He was he, all he, he was fought. all over it more than anybody else, yeah. more than anybody else. And like, he's just a daggum good reporter, man. I'll Absolutely. Um, all right, so Eric, final thoughts: UCF, FAU. This is, like I said earlier, man. This is um, this is a real gut check game for UCF. I think Eric Henry's right. Uh, this this kind of has the earmarks of Gus, you know, looking at Isaiah Bowser, John Rice Plumley, and saying, "Guys, enough is enough. Let's ram the ball down their throats and show them what a Big Twelve team looks like." And hopefully, set up some passing because of that. Set it up with some big plays passing wise. You know, the pass defense. I'm kind of hey, look, who am I? Eric's think alike. So I'm gonna <laughs> go with uh, Henry on that one, and kind of a similar score, maybe an extra score for UCF, but. That kind of ball game, because uh, I do think FAU could move the ball a little bit. Turnovers will play a factor, as we always know. That's a very, you know, cliche thing, but it is true. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with with Henry around 31-21, 34-21 type of game. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, like 38-21, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, but it's I, – I guess my question is, like, let's say that does happen, right? Does it really answer – the questions that we had coming out of Louisville? Some yes, probably some no, right? Like that's kind of how it works, right? But hey, it's a win. So you move forward and you try to build, build yeah. then towards Georgia Tech. And then really, I think to me, this, you if I'm Gus and the staff, you want to know what you've got. Everything's got to be figured out by the end of this month when you start conference play with SMU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. All right. All right, thanks again to Eric Henry, Eric C. Henry underscore on Twitter. 
uh, where you can uh, find him and all of his work and get some really good use. Again, he's the nicest guy on Twitter. I don't know how he does it. He has the patience of Job. I just, amazing. He is a Zen master. And uh, we appreciate him and his time. And check out Underdog Dynasty. They always do great stuff, uh, especially covering uh, Group of Five football and other teams around the American. You want to get other teams around the American that you know are not UCF uh, or Cincinnati with down the drive, make sure you hit up Underdog Dynasty. All right, stick around. We come back. Elo and I are going to wrap up news from uh, volleyball, soccer, and golf and uh, wrap up the podcast in just a little bit. This is the Black and Gold Banner Podcast, and we're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric back with you here as we wrap things up here in segment three. Uh, looking at what's going on around the uh, world of UCF sports. And Eric, I want to start with volleyball, who had a fantastic weekend this weekend. They are now 5-0. and They won all three matches at the UCF Invitational. Beat UNC Wilmington on Friday. And then that set up Saturday against Miami in a match that... Uh, you know, Miami is pretty good. Uh, they're expected to contend for the ACC this year. Uh, even though they uh, suffered a loss the previous night against Illinois-Chicago, uh, you see, they, they brought it in this match, but UCF came back from down 2-1 to win it in five uh, once again. So they've beaten Kansas State in five and Miami in five. Melville, uh, McKenna-Melville, another 19 uh, kills to go with 14 days. Kari Zumach had 19 kills, so that's huge. Uh, she was tremendous in this match too, Eric. And uh, UCF uh, you know, performed, I thought, so well in the three sets that they did win, hitting 438, 371, and then 333 in the fifth. 333 in the fifth against the team that, uh, that hit 292. Uh, it only had one error in the fifth, but the Knights uh, got the job done uh, in, that, uh, in that fifth set. And what was a Really spectacular atmosphere, too. Second largest crowd uh, for a regular season volleyball match at the venue, only trailing the volleyball against Stanford in Todd Dagenet's first year. Yeah. Uh, incredible crowd, incredible atmosphere. Uh, you know, you and I have discussed about rivalries and who's going to be the rival and the whole USF thing. I'm going to tell you right now, Miami is UCF is your volleyball rival. That was intense. It was, they always go five sets. Both are well coached. I even asked Todd Dagenet about it, which you can check out the whole post game pressers on our YouTube channel on Black and Gold Banneret. And he alluded to it. He loves playing Miami. He thinks it's a good matchup for the RPI and resume and obviously being in the state. And he intends on playing them every year. I think this is your rival because they're similar programs. They're evenly matched. They both had great setters with Vok for Miami and, of course, Amber Olsen for UCF. But the difference was. Kari Zumach, 19 kills. That could be your second weapon offensively to help Melville and Abby Hansen. Jeff, you were there with me there. Fourth and fifth set, they were calling Zumach and Abby Hansen. She, they were yeah. leading the offense, not McKenna. And how long have we talked about not being all dependent on McKenna, needing some balance around the offense? That was, to me, the big takeaway from there is here you're playing a quality Miami team that's going to be an NCAA tournament team. And you had a balanced offense to beat them with Zumach and Hansen offensively. They've got more variety on this offense than they probably have ever had in the Dagen era. Yeah, and, and I, you know, also Emily Wilson too, who mm -hmm. came in in the middle of that match and I think was really solid on that uh, on the side. 
I think one of the things too that that I've observed uh, from this team, and is that it's not the same formula as it has been. And I think one of the good things about that is you're seeing a squad that, uh, you know, Amber Olsen is really not afraid to, uh, you know, she's set in the middles a lot more, I think, than she has in the past. And I think the reason why is because she knows that, you know, there, there is some real offensive power there. We don't just have defensive middles anymore. I think that, you know, like you said, Abby Hansen is a real strong attacker up front. Uh, Anson had nine blocks, total blocks yeah. in that match too. Something that Dagenet called, you know, it was funny. Todd said in the post game, you know, people out of Oregon, though, the word out of Oregon is that she wasn't a great blocker. And he's like, baloney. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's significant because one of the big questions going to the year is who would off, how do you offset losing Narissa Moravic, who was one of the nation's best blockers, and Amory Watson, who has records in blocks? The answer might be Abby Hansen, among others. Yeah. I mean, in that case, like, you know, Abby Hansen in that way, like kills two birds with one stone too, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was, pre- that, you know, that, that in particular, I think is what, uh, you know, Todd's been looking for. And it's the same thing with Kari. Like Kari has been, uh, has been fantastic on that right side. And, and, uh, and, you know, the other thing that was encouraging was that Amber Olsen looked like she was okay. Yep. After that scare with the ankle last week. Um, and I think the other thing that was really good was you know, really emotional win, right? Then they come back the next day and they just dispatch UIC. And so now they come to the Jayhawk Classic Tournament, which is their only road tournament of the season. Remember, UCF got that late start. Most teams play four non-conference weekends. UCF's only playing three. Uh, But they're playing Omaha on Thursday, Kansas uh, at home on Friday. Ranked 23rd in the country. That's your uh, one in the circle there. Another Big 12 team in Lipscomb on Saturday. So you already beat one Big 12 team in Kansas State last week. Now you're going to get a road test uh, against Kansas. Um, I love the fact that they held serve at home. Now you're going to see that road test again. And, and, and I don't think we should um, I don't think we should overlook either Nahome, Omaha nor Lipscomb in this case either because Lipscomb is actually going to be pretty good this year. Uh, Omaha has actually been uh, pretty good historically. So... Yeah, this is this is uh, you know your big road test before you start conference play next weekend uh, on the road against uh, Memphis and SMU. So, uh, but I think everyone has that Kansas match circled for fairly obvious reasons. Well, and Todd said afterwards what he's curious about is does this team travel, right? Yeah, like you played at home, now you travel. Does your play travel? We're gonna find out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wanted to uh, move it over to soccer. Uh, men's soccer uh, after got a 3-2 victory over UC Irvine on Friday after beating uh, UC Riverside the previous Monday. So now they have eight days off until they start uh, conference play already. So their non-conference schedule is over, and they head into non-conference at 3-1 and one, uh, with a no contest that they were leading one to nothing at FGCU. Uh, so they, they play Temple on Saturday. But talk about that uh, the game against Irvine. Uh, where they uh, jumped out uh, one to nothing on Luca Dorado. He then had scored another one uh, just prior to halftime to make it two to one. Uh, Irvine tied it up, and then Mile Hayes, who uh, has emerged, Eric, uh, get, got UCF the game winner with 14 minutes to go. And uh, and despite being outshot, Eric, 19 to 11. When was the last time that ever happened for UCF men's soccer? They get the victory all the way out at Ant Eaters. I love the Ant Eaters. Ant Eaters Stadium 
uh, in Irvine, California, in that long trip out. And they're not playing as they didn't play a second match out in California. They went out there, played Irvine, came back, and uh, and got the job done. That's a big win. Yeah, it was kind of a tricky because that was going on during the football game, so it was hard to kind of follow. But it was back and forth. Good, you get a road win right before conference starts. Good to see Luca Dorado healthy. Remember, he didn't start the year healthy. Uh, had an injury pre uh, prior to the start of the season, so he looks like he's back to being 100 percent healthy, and that's big. Yeah, he looked healthy, all right, because he got the one yeah. goal in the in the in the Gulf Coast game that got wiped. Yeah, and uh, and got two in this one. Yeah, still concerned about some of the you know defensively they gave up some breaks there, but I think they're coming together a little bit, and just in time, you're going to get starting here in conference, which is really where you're going to make your uh, resume, if you will. Now moving forward, obviously Tulsa is the favorites. They're ranked. They're once again a national title contender. But, you know, you start out with Temple, you got to take get off to a good start. That's the key. You want to get off to a good start. You want to see consistency. That was the big thing. Remember, we had Scott on before the season. He talked about the thing he was disappointed about last year. They weren't consistent, especially on the back line. So far, it looks like they could be more consistent this year, and they clearly have a goalie. Yeah. I, mean, I think that they're, they they – I do. I would like to see a little bit better on the back line, though. I mean, that's – you know, you're giving up two goals. You have to score three. Um, that – does concern me somewhat because of the fact that you know you're are you relying too much on your goalkeeper in that case and i, I think 100 percent agree 100 percent agree i, I, I mm-hmm. think that you know that's that, that's something that they got to iron out as they move forward uh women's soccer uh coming off the uh, the uh undefeated start or unbeaten start um had the game against north florida wiped and then of course uh the two to one loss at home to Ole miss in a dramatic fashion, they go up to North Carolina uh, to Chapel Hill and uh, fall two to one there on Sunday. And now they start conference play with an old foe on Thursday at eight o'clock at the Memphis Tigers. Um, going back to that North Carolina match, Eric, they had a they had a one nothing lead. Ellie Moreno uh, got the first goal of the game, but uh, which is what you want to see, right? You know, get off to a good start. But then North Carolina turned into North Carolina, outshot UCF by more than a two-to-one margin, fifteen to seven, um, and uh, and and UCF couldn't hang on to the lead. They gave up uh, two goals within fifteen minutes to uh, Ali Sentner and then Avery Patterson. Avery Patterson's got six goals on the season for uh, for North Carolina, but um, kind of a disappointing way to uh, finish up. Well, they're not finished with non-conference play. I should say they have one more non-conference match against Texas. Uh, this coming Sunday as well uh, <laughs> in Austin. Okay. Oh, man. So how about this back-to-back? At Memphis, at Texas, Thursday, Sunday. Uh, yikes, right? Um, right, after playing Carolina and then Ole Miss yeah. before that, yeah. Jeez, we talked about this. This is this is the this, – this part of the schedule is the grind, man. Ole Miss, North Carolina, Memphis, Texas, before you come back home for Cincinnati on September 29th. Good thing they have – 11 days off after the Texas after the Texas game uh to prepare for Cincinnati at home but uh what did we uh, what did we learn from the North Carolina game uh we need Kristen Scott back as soon as possible uh she didn't play in the match she's kind of really good could have made it uh you know I definitely think she could have made a difference in the old miss match Carolina's really good I mean that's that's a big ask I you know they had some chances to get a result out of Chapel Hill just didn't work out but the big question now is when do you when do you get do you get Kristen Scott back? She didn't make the trip uh, to Chapel Hill. We know that because <laughs> uh, we saw her. And the question is, does she make the trip to Memphis? Does she make the trip to Te- this Memphis match is big? Uh, these two teams always compete or in the mix for the conference title. It looks like Memphis, UCF, 
SMU probably are your front runners for the league. USF's kind of in a down year, but they're still USF. But this is a big match. It's a big swing match on the road. Could be the last time these two programs play each other. If you think about it, they could. This could be it. They've played. They've been playing since CUSA days in 06. And think of all the many conference championship matches they've had at stake. So, can they get Kristen Scott back? Uh, because they got to get some results. They, this is a monster match to get a result because you got it. You know, you didn't get the old Miss win. You didn't get Carolina. You got to build a resume. And this weekend could be your, you know, with Memphis and Texas, especially in conference. You got to get your results in conference. This team is motivated by that. We'll see how they uh, they look against Memphis. Memphis is always dangerous. They have talented uh, outside uh, hitters that could score. They're going to try to pressure UCF defensively. So it'll be a test for the Knights defensively. Yeah, two, two, and two is where they are. Deuces wild right now, but have lost their last two. So, can they recover for this first American Athletic Conference when that way they're not, you know, playing from behind? I think that was one of the things that was one of the main issues the last couple of years is they dug themselves a hole in conference play, and so now they're trying to, and then they had to try and dig themselves out of it, and it was always hard to do. So, uh, because they had no margin for error later on in the season, when you know you get tired and things start. You know, and, and things start getting a little a little wonky. So, um, you know, again, this is a tough grind that they have. But if they can come out, I think if they come out of Memphis with a dub, score a dub against Memphis, get the, get yourself a draw against Texas. I think you're feeling pretty good at three two, and you'd be you know three two and three coming back home for Cincinnati. I think you're feeling pretty good. That would be a good goal. That would be yeah. the goal. That would be the goal there. That would turn your season back on track to that tournament. If you don't get that result you mentioned, now you're playing catch-up the whole the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah that's going to be rough. All right, uh, one last little bit that we wanted to get in uh, before we go. UCF women's golf uh, up, at, uh, up at Charleston, South Carolina. The uh, College of Charleston hosting the Cougar Classic. Uh, and uh, the recap for UCF here, how about Pat Pitton, minus seven, uh, tied for fourth individually um, as uh, UCF finished uh, finished the third round uh, under par. They ended the tournament in eighth at two over par, uh, but yeah, at 54 holes, this is, a, this is, the, uh, this is the record that uh, Bryson uh, Turner passed along to me. Uh, 854 over 54 holes is tied for the fourth best in program history. And still, it was only good enough for eighth place. Uh, Ole Miss was the uh, winner at 839. Um, but, uh, yeah, UCF women's golf is off and running. And I think, you know, we saw um, Pat Pidden out there. Uh, you know, she's. it looks like she's going to be she's going to be the star. Yeah, breakout year ahead in yeah, women's is, golf. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be another strong year. She's yeah. going to be a serious national contender. Even if UCF uh, – you know, I, I I do expect that even if UCF does as a team does not get to the NCAA uh, uh, championship, I think Pat Pitton by the end of this year, you know, she's well on her way to becoming one of the uh, best and most and most decorated golfers uh, in the American and possibly in the country this year with how she's with how she's actually started out and, cer- and certainly how she's played the last couple of years. Like she's making the leap right now. Strong team too. I think they're ranked in the thirty, top thirty uh, in the rankings there, golf rankings there. Happy belated birthday to Emily Marin, head coach. Her birthday was a few days back, so it's uh, got another. Her birthday wish is another stack team. She's got that very much. So they're they're in for another big year, looks like. Yeah. All right. So that'll do it for us on uh, recapping. Did I miss anything, Eric? I don't think we did, right? No, man. Football, football, football occupies many of times. Are, yeah, NFL's underway. Gabe Davis is uh, making the leap. 
Depending and, on when you people listen to this, too, the basketball conference schedule might be out. So Right, so that's what we're going to be looking for. And then also uh, Latavius Murray uh, has uh, signed with the pack practice squad with yeah. the New Orleans Saints uh, two weeks in. You know, first of all, what the hell took him so long? Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not like they don't need running back help back there. Uh, but it's good to see Tay get another shot. Yeah, Latavius kind of interesting. Uh, next Friday, scheduled to be inducted into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. All indications are he'll still make that appearance on Friday really? night. From all from indication sources, Bryce why he's not with us. He's working on this stuff. Um, all indications are he is still planning on going. We'll see if that sticks. Unfortunately for you, Jeffrey, I don't think you're going to be able to introduce him at the game. I don't think he's going to stick around for the game like the other Hall of Famers, because he's got a little job uh, to all of a sudden. Yeah, he's a little, going to be a little uh, uh, busy, a little indisposed at the moment. Yeah. Uh, with an, but you know, we saw him actually do the uniform reveal for the opener, which was kind of cool. Uh, and now he's actually going to be playing um, again in black and gold, huh? How about that? good colors for him it's worked out well for him and uh yeah. we got a lot of content ready to go next week stay cute i'm black and gold banner we're gonna have a lot of on the hall of famers and the hall of fame next week we i don't want to give away too much right now just keep an eye on it we we might have some special content coming out uh next week on yeah. that uh keep it on our social media platforms uh to for all the details on that coming out don't also also don't forget all the preview content that we have coming out for every football game every week, including for UCF FAU. It's no different. Down in Boca, seven thirty kick CBS Sports Network. Eric, you guys will have uh, night shift afterwards, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll have a full house. I think Drew's going to be there. Kyle will be there. So, uh, well, gonna, a, you know what? I'm going to try and be there too. You're more than welcome to be. No, there. You, can host. you can host. I, I, you can host. You haven't hosted I'll, one of those in a while. In. I mean, we've had a bunch of home games, you know. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm busy trying to. I mean, that just down. have some caffeine ready. It's a CBS Sports Network telecast, uh, so it probably won't fair. be. Uh, we won't be done till probably fair. midnight. But yeah. yeah, and then uh, you know, and hopefully we'll have a win to talk about in that game, which uh, you'll be able to follow us on social media as Eric was talking about: Twitter, UCF Banneret underscore SBN, Facebook, UC uh, uh, Black and Gold Banneret. Instagram, Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, YouTube.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, uh, which is where you can find us uh, on all of our social platforms. And of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where we are your home for UCF sports uh, on SB Nation. If you subscribe to our podcast, we thank you. Make sure you leave us a rating. If not, you can subscribe to us uh, on uh, Android and Apple, wherever you get uh, your podcast. You can also follow all of us individually. Eric's at Eric Lopez Elo. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Kyle at the SOTG for the student of the game. Follow Bryson at it's Bryson Turner. Follow, follow Drew at stat boy Drew. And uh, also don't forget to follow uh, Noah Goldberg at the Noah Goldberg and Derek Warden at underscore DS Warden. Our two staff photographers doing a marvelous job once again uh, covering things for you, not just in football, but for all UCF sports uh, as we do. And we pride ourselves here at Black and Gold Banner. So that'll do it for us. For Eric and all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff saying thank you so much for listening. If you're heading down to Boca, please drive safely. Enjoy the game. Go Knights. Charge on. We will see you on Night Shift on Saturday 